Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm Prue Warren, representing people with less experience in the writing world. Thankfully, I'm here with my co-host. I am Meredith Bond, and I represent those with a bit more experience. A bit more. A little bit more. Today's podcast, I'm particularly pleased with. Today, we're speaking with the woman who has become my editor. We're speaking with Matrice Hussey. Matrice, thank you for coming on to talk us about being an editor. Thank you. I love working with you. I love working with books, and I love talking about them. So the process. So this is great. <laughs> you have to say you love working with me. You have to. <laughs> Matrice, tell me, tell us your background. I was with Harlequin Books for 25 years. So I started as an editorial assistant with Silhouette Books, worked my way up, worked on just about every category line, the young adult line, the Kamani African-American line, um, helped start the Luna line, worked on pretty much all of those titles, um, the Bombshell line. So I, I covered a lot of the category romance and then mergers happened and I went on my own about five or six years ago. And uh, I've been working as a consulting editor, doing developmental edits, line edits, a little bit of copy editing, some storyboarding and career advice for the past couple of years. And it's been very different, but very enjoyable at the same time. Just, I, have, I have many questions. <laughs> Sorry, Meredith, am I interrupting you? Um, no, I was just going to say that sounds like a really interesting position, getting to to edit so many things and so many different types of genres within regions within uh, romance. Yes, yes, for the romances, for sure. Um, as I said, category romance, I love category romance. My aunt, I was visiting Ireland when I was 11, and my aunt gave me my first category romance, a Mills and Boone book, because I was bored out of my mind and wanted something to read, and she did not know what she unleashed um, <laughs> as I came back and found category romance all over our local library, which I had never noticed before. So the very first check I wrote was to Love Swept to be part of their monthly book club. <laughs> and uh, I still, I just finished a category romance la uh, two days ago. Um, I still love category romance. There's That's something good. inherently pure and focused and enjoyable and positive, I think, about category romances. So I still enjoy reading them and I still have really enjoyed the, the types of stories they tell. Let me just, let me clarify. For yes. novice listeners, Mills and Boone is the British arm of... Harlequin, yes. Harlequin, okay. I was going to ask whether you still focus your editing on category or contemporary romance. No, I'm really, really scattered on my editing, which is fantastic. I still do some contemporary romances. I do some historical romances as well with a different author, some cozy mysteries, some science fiction books, some fantasy books. Oddly enough, in the past, past six months or so, I've had three... Pirates in the Caribbean in the 1700 books, which is uh, kind of unusual, but I guess it's the the black sails and the new the new Tahiti uh, 
Wakiti um, series that's out there, but there's been a, a resurgence in Caribbean pirates, I guess. But yeah, that was kind of an unusual it's, one. It's the Johnny Depp trial. <laughs> could be. Well, th- this started before that, but you know, it could be right. to that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Would you define category romance for me, please? Category romance is usually a very structured set of romance. So in many ways, I used to compare it to a sonnet. So you have a certain word count, you have a certain word length, you have a certain experience that the author is going to get. But within that sonnet framework, there's a lot of things that go on with it. So if you have a Harlequin romance, category romance, it's going to be about 50,000 words. Hero and heroine meet in the first page, problems ensue, and they get resolved by the end. If you have a Harlequin romantic suspense, there is romantic suspense with it. The heroine or the hero is in danger. The hero is often somewhat of a protector type and they come together. If you have a special edition, then it's more family oriented and there's often babies or siblings or um, other people that are around it. But the heart of it is really the hero and heroine meeting in the first chapter and a happy ending at the end and then problems ensue in the middle, but not just static, hopefully not just static communication issues, but the story really involves in a bit of an arc, a bit of a personal growth and a big hit of romance and just feelings, which can be great. So you're as, as an editor, I'm just thinking about the more I know about any subject, the, mm, the more art I can see in something that's really quite simple, right? If you, if you, if you don't know what you're doing, everything is surface level. And those category romances seem to me to be, annoyingly formulaic but you've seen it for so long you can see the artistry in it and you still love it you still yeah, love that I mean, formulaic I think that in many ways it is formulaic but you know as I said within the framework people bring different things to it and I have over the years met many people who think oh those are easy I can write them in a snap and technically it may be perfect but they're they've lost the heart they haven't mm. found the emotional beat that is going to make the reader sigh and say, I want another one by this author. You know, there are some authors, Marie Ferrella has, when I last I looked, she was over 250 books, but she might be more than that. And yeah. And, and so there's often a grumpy hero. There's often a spirited heroine, but within that framework, she's able to make the changes and, and the family oriented and bring things together. I remember talking with another author one time and she was like, I just don't understand this. And, you know, why is this not working for me? I've never done a story like this before. And I'm like, you have done 50 stories like this before (laughs) with a rancher hero and an independent woman who comes next to him and they're battling. And she's like, "But but it's never been like this. And I'm like, because this is your book and this is your characters who are sparking off each other. But yes, you've done books like this before. You'll get to the end of it. You'll be able to make it work. And it is amazing how many of these tried and true and experienced authors can still think I've never done a book like this before because they approach it with the individuality of these characters or the situation. And well, I, there, I also, there, there are only, there are only 12 notes in music, right? Yep. And they come together. And I always say as well, I have read a lot of bad books over the years. I have read a lot of uninteresting books over the years. And I've read a lot of unsuccessful books of the years. But, you know, 99.9% of the times at the end of a romance book, category or otherwise, the goal is a happy ending, a positive ending for the characters. There are big troubles along the way. But 
there's something good coming out of it. And so by the time you get to the end of the story in that way, that's something that's really affirming in a way that you don't always get in the rest of the world. I resisted the concept of, and I, I, I use formula very, very awkwardly. I resisted the concept that a romance has to have like certain touch points uh, and a happily ever after until I thought that every house has a foundation and at least four walls. But what you do within those four walls is open to the architect. You can, you know, sky's the limit when you're not an architect. You don't have to up the (laughs) building code. You can write anything you want. And along the same lines, I have had so many, particularly men, say, oh, romance, it's just written to a formula. And I say, yeah, do you read mystery? And they're like, well, yeah, of course I read mystery and it's this and it's that and it's wonderful and it's great. And I'm like, and does somebody, is somebody killed? Is the murderer caught? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, you do. yeah, it's like formula. Yeah, but I mean, even for those men, just tell them, it's like a sports game. You, you know how many players are on the field. You know what the goal is. You know what the timing is. You know that you have breaks at these certain amount of times formula but why do you watch every single baseball game or football game or, or whatever game you know it's, yeah, it's a formula you know good like somebody's going to win yeah somebody's going to win yeah absolutely that so with good. the the category romances i do not read them i have to admit but aren't they usually female centered so that really the protagonist is the female character and the hero is not quite as central That used to be, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, that used to be now a lot of it. it, It's more, it depends on the series sometimes, but like certainly when you're going into the intimate moment, um, sorry, I keep using old terms, but if you're going into the romantic suspense or the intrigue or or some of those other category series, it's 50% hero. Um, He's generally not more than 50%, but, you know, even with the the desire and um, the other series, although the heroine may be the introductory into the relationship the hero has a very strong viewpoint and he needs to have some conflict and redemption and do some groveling at the end if it's a presents book because groveling and presents is the best grovel um, when they do it properly uh so you know you need to you need to have that balance and, and the hero usually has you know 30 to 50 percent of the book in in most of the um contemporary current category romances okay i love so it i love it so yes. it's the old concept of the Harlequin romance that is female centric. Yes. I mean, if, if you look back 20 years ago and, and still what you're doing, say a Harlequin presents some of the shorter books where it is more focused, but you know, there are plenty of books where the hero is in the military and he and his friends take forefront of the stage or, you know, he's recovering or wounded or needs the protection or needs to redeem himself in some ways. And so the relationship you know, it is more balanced. It could be 60-40, could be 50-50. And there are some books that have been really strongly male point of view um, for the most part, but because the heroine is the introduction to the relationship a lot of times, or, you know, the stand-in for the reader, it's usually a little bit more balanced. Matrice, you have a lot of hats in this world. You said you, that you were an editor, a copy editor. Did you say you were did proofreading? What was it? No, I like? developmental. Generally, Developmental. Yeah. Okay. So, so for for the new listener, can you 
do a little uh, two sentence explanation of each of those of each of those jobs? Sure. So sometimes I'm so a story consultant. So for instance, there was an author who wanted to do a project in the 1920s England, and so she gave me a rough sketch of what she was working on or what she thought, and then I would read through it. And then I went back and did some research. So I'm like, well, you know, your heroine could have graduated from this college, but not that college. If she was living on an estate here, her father would have been this or not that or the expectations. And, you know, it was after the war. So what her things would be. So I kind of did a little restructuring. She didn't know much about, you know, the the peerage. So I did some research. And, you know, if he the hero is the ninth duke, then you know, he had to be the grandson of the seventh Duke or, you know, things like that, that she didn't even really think about or know much about. So something like that is really early in the stages, just brainstorming preliminary stuff. When you do a developmental edit, that's when you get the manuscript after the author has written it and revised it for herself, or maybe shared it with some beta readers. And then you go through and you look at the pacing, you look at the characterization, did this character have an arc? this character end up where he needs to be? Are you missing on the intensity of this emotion? If this character is this job, would she expect to know this and that if, you know, so you're really looking at the bones of the story. So going back to your HGTV thing, it's like, you know, when you're building the houses, are are all the plugs in the right place? You know, are the doors open? Are you able to move through the story smoothly? Um, That kind of direction. And then so that's the kind of the developmental edit. So then the author often has to go back and rethink more things that are some some actual details, but also things that are kind of plot and conflict related. Like, are the characters represented properly? Is there enough conflict in the story? Is the story mean something? Does it have a theme? You know, is this representing what the author wants to say? And is it being said properly? So that's kind of the developmental side. And then you do the line edit of the manuscript. And the line edit is kind of where you look at it line by line. So, you know, you've repeated this twice before. Let's take this line out. This chapter doesn't ending on a great punch. Let's put a new line in here. Let's get rid of this decoration. Your your hero was uh, blue-eyed here and he's green-eyed here. You know, do you pick one of them? You know, going through, you do some of the little details and going through line by line, trying to clean up the grammar and the spelling and the typos as well, but also focusing on, is this line work? Is this telling the story you want? Is this the, the wording and the phrasing? Is it too repetitive here? Are you going on too long? Do you need to add in another line in order to have it make sense? And then you have the copy editing and the copy editing really focuses on the grammar. Is this comma proper? Is this M dash proper? Is this hyphenated or not hyphenated? Is this a typo in that direction? And then the last stage is generally proofreading, which is you read it cold, blind, and you often read it from back to front. So you start with the last line to make sure every period is in place. Every word is there. Um, you're not missing your a two that your mind automatically you know fills in when you're reading it front to to back, and you look at it going backwards and really do that final polishing. Try to get every error out. I mean, it's impossible nearly to get every error out by the time <laughs> I've done a book. I've read it anywhere from two to six times, and my mind just automatically flashes in the proper word. And that's why having outsiders, friends you know, beta readers, you know, proofreaders at the end is important. But, you know, even with all of that, you'll still find even traditionally published books get errors left in them because everybody's just uh, missed out on something. Happily, um, sometimes if you're self-publishing yourself, you can go back in and make corrections and, you know, update the book and such. But, you know, just be aware that a lot of readers get frustrated if there are too many corrections made to a project because they think they've 
like either pay for something that wasn't good to begin with if the author is having to make all these corrections and fixes or that, you know, when they get the little symbol that their their Kindle is updating their title or, or whatever it is, they're looking at it thinking, you know, this author is, is just always changing things. Do I have to go back and read it again? Or, you know, is it a problem or, or such like that? So, you know, try and get it as well done as clean as possible before you publish it. Let's talk about dollar signs. Just in the in the realm of keeping this as practical as possible, what do you charge for each of these stages? What do you charge to be a story consultant? The story consultant is often by hour. So, you know, it depends on what it's going. So it could be about $50 an hour sometimes too, or, or a little bit more, depending on how much research you have to do and, and things come back to it. For the uh, developmental editing and the line editing, it's generally about two cents a word. So sometimes it can be a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. I ask to see the manuscript beforehand so that I can do a couple of edits on the first chapter. And so the person can see what I'm doing and, and, and how I'm going. You know, sometimes after you see that first chapter, you might add on another half cent a word or such because you know it's going to be a more difficult time consuming process for you and that, you know, there are going to be needing to be a lot of changes. Um, sometimes, you know, the author is, is strong and you only have to make a couple of points here and there, a couple of questions, you know, and some, sometimes you ask the question, sometimes you find the answer. So I was working on a book where the heroine has inherited something in, uh, from her millionaire aunt and, you know, she's having to pay to keep the house and pay all the servants and all the rest of it. And I'm thinking in my limited, you know, lawyer experience, you know, the estate would be paying for those things. The executor would be continuing to pay for the house and the mortgage and all the rest of it. It would be her responsibility who has inherited no money to be digging into her own savings to pay for this. So, you know, I said, go back to the author and say, you know, can you clarify this? It sounded cool that, you know, the heroine was having to be plucky and spend all her own money, but, you know, does it work like that in Texas? I don't think it works like that in New York. And, and maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, so you send it back to the, the author to say, you need to do research on this because, you know, and that, that's always like when you're, when you're working, it's always the balance between, is it good for the story or is it realistic? And I let a lot of things go because it's not realistic and, you know, things really don't work like that. But if you're doing a contemporary romance and you're doing it with real characters and a very real life feel to it, you know, it will pull readers out when they know that something is completely wrong. Like you can make up a city. If, if, if in New York, I was reading a book, it was published book. I didn't work on it. And they were driving up Fifth Avenue and I'm like, Fifth Avenue doesn't go up, it goes down. So, you know, that to me, like, I was like, this, this person doesn't know New York, doesn't do any research. Like if they had put that in Chicago, I might not have known, but if they had made up a city, you know, I could totally have bought that they went up Fifth Avenue or, or you know, whatever the location is. So it is a, a, a blend of getting things, using things that are real, but also taking care to get that part of it right. So you don't kick out all of the New York readers who are just like, she knows nothing. And if, if she knows nothing about New York, how does she know anything about anything else? You did it for me. You did it for oh. me. I had a, I had a, a hero's father worked for the subway system and yep. you knew the initials, you knew what it, you knew the whole, you knew the whole deal. And it would, it just added that little tiny fillip of realism that, that made everything so much stronger. I was very grateful. Do you have a copy edit fee? That would just be 
copy edit, I, I'm not as good on the copy edit. I'm more on the developmental okay. slide edit. I do less copy editing simply because my mind fills in all those details. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're good yeah. at story. Yeah, you you would be you would be it would be wasting your time to focus on less than the the the, the biggest issues. And how about how long does it take? How much time should an author budget in her schedule as she's working through an editorial process? That actually really is so dependent. I'm doing about 100 pages a day. I try to do about 100 pages a day. So sometimes I, right now I'm backed up so that authors are saying, are you getting my pages yet? And, And I haven't yet. But sometimes like there was in two weeks in February where I was doing nothing. So anything that had come in had popped up. So if you're working with somebody and you know, if you want to work with me and you want to give me a heads up for, you know, two or three months ahead of time, I can slot you in to those hundred pages a day. And um, I'm giving you a heads up, girl. It's coming. Right. It's coming, I swear. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I'll slot you in. So sometimes, you know, try, try to do two to three months out. If you know something's happening two or three months out, try and get on the calendar. And then, you know, I'll say, say that slot. Sometimes, you know, you can ask and at the last minute be able to slot you in because I finished up what's in the the queue. And sometimes it's a little bit farther down, but, you know, at least I can always take a look at it and see how long it's going to take and and where things are going. Matrice, you send, I send you my book, theoretically, after I've had it read by beta readers, which is, this will be different for you this time, because this time I'm actually going to have the beta readers first instead of after. (laughs) I send you the book. It takes you three weeks because it's 300 pages. I mean, we're assuming all schedules are normal. You send me back not only my book with your edits in line, but also the letter that explains the bigger picture. Describe that. Sure. So one of the things that I like to do is make really notes in the margins that are really specific to that kind of action that's needed, that kind of emotion that's missing, that kind of thing that's wrong. But then after I finish the manuscript, I usually wait a day or two, take a step back and kind of look at those notes and see if there's an overall pattern. So I try and start off with a couple of things that I really liked about the book. I like your dialogue. There's a lot of sparkle. The banter between the characters are good. You know, what is specifically the things that I enjoy about your writing and such. But then I try and look at some broad characteristics. So like, For other authors, it might be world building. If they're a fantasy book or a paranormal book, you know, why do your vampires do this and not do that? How come your werewolves are out in the day but aren't affected? You know, not that that's the werewolf's job, but, you know, or whatever (laughs) the big picture for that world is, you know, how come magic comes like this and magic doesn't come like that? So I might have a, a page of, and I tend to be asking questions more because you might know the answers and just have not put it in there. But for me, it's more questioning. Why does this happen? What do you mean by this? How is this going? Um, I haven't usually have another big thing that's conflict. Like, how are the conflicts working? This is what I see the conflicts are coming back and forth. Are, are these like, how is this getting resolved? Are you building up the tension in this book? Sometimes there's a big thing for pacing. So some some authors have different things. So these are just like broad buckets and you might not get every bucket because you're good on that. A lot of times it's characters like, you know, what is your background of your character? Why does your character act like this? You know, your character is being very immature. Is this the version you want to show of your character? Is there a better way to get it? I usually will have a theme goal one. And and that's something that's a little, a little esoteric at times. But, you know, if you're that's hard. 
as an author, you know, you need to have your goals. Like, is this hitting what you want for your readers? Is this what your readers are going to expect from you? Is this a theme that you're going to carry through through your own work in multiple books? Or is just this a theme for the story? Does this, um, you know, if, so if you're an author who normally does fun romantic comedies, and I think I went out, there was four people murdered in your book, and it was kind of like gruesome murders. It's like, is this really fitting into the, the tone of the story, the theme of the story, what you're telling? And you're kind of like, it was fun. And I'm like, no, it really wasn't fun for the reader. Cheerful. There were cheerful murders. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, you kind of do a little push back on some of that. And then there's usually, you know, a, a miscellaneous character. Um, and then there's usually a craft section. And so, you know, uh, I'll go back and remind people what serial commas are, remind people about what the it's, it's apostrophe differences, remind people that there are spellings that are variants. Usually it's, uh, I, I often will stick in a couple of websites that I recommend to people, whether it be on pacing or tension or, you know, moving a scene forward. I think that's one of the, the key elements that I try and push with a lot of people is that a lot of times the scene does its job as it gets you from one place to another place, but the scene actually should do multiple jobs in developing the character and the plot and the situation and the romance and the tension or whatever is going on. And a lot of times the author will just think the scene does its job because I needed to have this happen. And you're kind of like, well, dig in a little bit more. Like what's the emotional response to this happening? You know, where is this character changing in this particular scene? And if your scene is only doing one thing, it's generally not as successful or needed, or I'll encourage you to add something else into the scene so that we're finding about the character as well as the story or the plot or, you know, the antagonist or something else that's going on. So each one is a little bit different. I, I generally will try if I'm doing a developmental edit or line edit, I'll often take a look at the character names and say, okay, you have four characters named Jim, Joe, John, James, like, you know, maybe change some of them around or, you know, this character changed from one name to another name, or, you know, you had a full moon here and you didn't have another full moon and it's three months later. And, and did you need, I mean, if it's a paranormal book, like, you know, you don't always need to care about the full moons in a, a contemporary, but, you know, or you had, you know, two weeks pass here and then another week and it's still June. Like, you know, maybe you've moved into July. Can you figure that out? So that sort of thing you, you kind of track as well to see if they're using a calendar properly or, or moving things forward in that. And I would say that you are extraordinarily good at the care and feeding of the creative brain. It's a scary, scary thing for anyone to send their book off to an editor. It's terrifying. That's my baby. Don't yeah. tell me I have an ugly baby, even if it is ugly. I think you're very, I think you're very thoughtful about your commentary and your advice. How do you handle? I mean, there must be so many different types of author response to this. How do you handle that? Well, I, I do try, and thank you for that. I, I do try and go in thinking, how can I improve this? How can I make it better? You know, does the author understand what they're doing or are they just reacting to it? And, and sometimes it is an author can be a very instinctual kind of writer and they're just putting on their page. And it's partly, it's even the plotter people, the, uh, you probably talked about the plotters and the seat of the pants and the plotters in your podcast yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. So in, in both yeah. of them, um, they, they, they're reactive. So, you know, there's usually when I go through the manuscript and there's something that I enjoy, I try and say, this made me smile or I like, or, 
you know, put a smiley face in the comments or something along those lines. So, you know, acknowledge what the author is doing, always acknowledging that the author's intention is to write a really good story. And that my job is, yes, to critique the story, to edit the story, but sorry, New York City, um, I don't think you can get rid of the sirens out the window. <laughs> yes. So, um, and so my intention is to, you know, make the story better, to, to ask the question that a reader will ask and say, I don't get this, you know, I don't understand this, um, why are you doing this? And, and then ask those questions. And it's the author's responsibility then to say, oh, readers will really get that. Or, yeah, you've got a point there. You know, I, I was talking to an author yesterday and she was like, I didn't think, uh, like I brought up a question about a character and, and something. And she was like, I didn't think of that at all. I'm so mad that you had to think of that. Cause like she, she likes to get everything right before she sends it to me. She doesn't like me to find anything wrong. And I, you know, found a couple of big, big questions about oh. timing, how everything was working together. And she was like, how come I can't see that? Like I've read it two other people have read it. And how come you got, and, and you found this big plot hole with the, the timing doesn't work for these characters. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of my job to kind of find those plot holes and, and give them back to you and to fix it. So, you know, it's my job to point out the potential problems and then the author's job to, and, and the way, and sometimes I will suggest things and sometimes the author will say, okay, that works for me. And then sometimes they'll say, no, no, that really doesn't work. And then it's a matter of figuring out, this is what I had a problem with. You could fix it by doing this or by doing this or by doing this or changing this and then comes out. And what do you say when someone disagrees with you? You're wrong. I don't want to put that in. Then it's their name that's on the book. So they can, you know, they make their decision and that's the way. Like I, you know, that was one of my first big changes because I worked for publishing for 25 years, traditional publishing. So I was the editor. I say, this is a problem. Let's fix it, change it, do something about it. And the author would say, okay. And then I pay them. And so it was very much, I was in the, the catbird seat, so to speak. I was, I was the leader. I mean, certainly I always respected the author. If they came up with another way to fix it, fine. But if there was a problem, I'd say, this is problem, you know, it needs to be resolved in some way. And then when I came to the other side, the consulting side, the freelance side of things, I was like, okay, you know, this was a fantasy novel. You're putting apostrophes and dashes throughout all of these characters' names. It's going to be really difficult. Let's simplify them. Let's get rid of the dashes and, and simplify the end dash. Like, no, I like them like that. I'm like, but you know, you're, you're going to have to write the back of a copy. There'll be all these apostrophes and dashes and readers won't respond to it. And, and they'll be intimidated by the story. She's like, no, but this is what they, I, I, this is my vision. And I'm like, Okay. And so that was my first big, okay, this is not my book anymore. I am not represent, I'm not buying it. You're paying me. So I will do the very best I can to say, these are all the problems I have with it. But in the end, it's going to be the author's name on the cover and the author's decision. So she or he will have to decide, you know, I'm going to take your advice and look at it and then ignore it because it's not what I want for the book. And and that's their their choice at the end. And that's a, a valid choice for them. How long does it take authors to come to a reality that maybe they do have to make a change? Does it take that day? Does it take a week? How long does it take before they finally go, shit, she's right. I've got to fix it. You know, it it really, it really does depend. I mean, and the one, the other thing, like we, we've established, we've done five, six books together. So, yep. you know, we've got a, a lot of give and flow. And so you can go back and, and ask something afterwards or clarify it. So when I, for my process, I usually 
send them the manuscript and then a week to 10 days later, have a phone call with them or a chat with them or something along those lines where they can ask their questions, go through the process, you know, see where I meant to, what I meant. And, and maybe I wasn't clear about something or maybe I missed something. And they said, well, I did this instead. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then for a lot of people, that's it. Like, you know, they don't come back to me again. That was just their one book that they were publishing and the one book they were working on. So I really don't know what the end result is going to be. And occasionally I get a, an email saying I've published it and it's, you know, and I'll go on and, and check it out and see all, all that good stuff. But, you know, it, it usually will take, there's a, there's a couple authors I do multiple books with. And so then they're the ones who are going to text me and it's like, you know, I don't understand what I did here or, oh my God, you know, what if I, um, there was one I was working on and, and I was like, you had, it was a cozy mystery and there was like 10 people killed and, and it was five of them didn't need to be killed because they were all ruses and your red herrings. And, and I'm like, what if you just killed this person and it get the story started? And she's like, then I don't have to kill those other people. I'm like, no, you don't have to kill those other people. Cause there was, there was four different murderers that she was tracking. And I'm like four different murderers in, in a, you know, 50, 60,000 word cozy mystery. That's a lot of murderers for the much more to people to happen. And so, you know, she's like, Oh, okay, great. Then we'll get rid of them all. So she's just sent her manuscript back to me and I'll, I'll take a look and see it, how it reads now, but it is a, um, it's very author dependent book dependent. And if you have worked with an author in a couple of books, you're certainly much more flexible and open to that. You know, I'm stuck on this point, give me an answer or what do we need to do? And, and they, they see the value of being able to have somebody to bounce the ideas off or try and figure out something that works for them. How many rounds of edits do you do on a book? Uh, well, it depends on what they've asked for or contracted or, or what's going on. Usually do the, the main round and then have the conversation about it. And then I'll often, if it's, you know, do one more round afterwards, mostly just cleaning up just the things that they've changed or they want something to be addressed. If they want something that's a lot more detailed, we can do multiple rounds with it. And, and sometimes it's needed and sometimes it's not. But for the original scope of the project, it's generally the, the first round, the conversation, and then the one review. And then, but sometimes people have changed their book so much that they come back and they need another first round because it is a totally different book from all the things that I suggested and said, and they're excited about it and think that it's going to be strong and, and you know, want another, another go round. And at that point, you know, it, it gets cheaper because if I've read the project already before, you know, it's not going to be the full, the full price if I have to do it again. And, and, um, the interaction is a little bit different at that point. Thanks. Go ahead, um, you work, you work with, I know you work with indie authors. Yay. But I assume you also work with people who are hoping for a traditional contract. I assume you're working yeah. with people who are hoping to write, to attract the attention of an agent. Do you assist any, do you assist in that effort has, since you have such a long history as an editor? Well, I yeah, I generally try not to put them in direct contact with an agent um, necessarily, but I do. One of the other things that I offer is a proposal, query letter review, proposal review. And so redo the query letter and redo the proposal. And, and most people have gotten at least interest, more interest after I've redone the, the letter and proposal than they had gotten before. You know, getting an agent is, is tricky, very tricky, but it, there is the opportunity to to at least improve the outlook and, and then make it just a little bit more professional looking and, and 
clearer for the agent or the editor to read in the first place. I myself am extremely pro indie publishing, extremely, but I know there are people who still hold out hope for a traditional contract. So, so that's, that's good that you have that opportunity also. I'm a Teresa, I could keep you all day. I'm, <laughs> I'm still full of questions, which I'm not going to ask you. I've turned off the timer. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem. really appreciate your time and your insight. Yeah, happy to do it again in a couple of months when you have another hole in your calendar. <laughs> You're lovely. Tell me an email where people can find you or a website where people can find you. Well, my not necessarily updated website is um, goodstorieswelltold.com. And um, Matrice, M-A-T-R-I-C-E, at goodstorieswelltold.com will also uh, get any information to me. Okay. Uh, not only uh, not only is it now, but I'll put it in the show notes as well. So we have that. Because I can personally recommend Matrice and say that she's <laughs> very good at taking care of my ugly children and helping them. She gives them haircuts. She buffs them. She grooms them. They look better when she's done. Meredith, next week, we're talking to Jenny Nash from Author Accelerator. I don't know a thing about Author Accelerator, so I'm particularly interested. Author Accelerator is very interesting. It is a book coaching course. And I took the course and know Jenny from that. And because I've learned a lot about developmental editing and other editing and coaching through her, from her. And so it's a lot of what Matrice has just been talking about, but uh, Jenny's going to give us the other side of it. And so from the teaching. Excellent. Excellent. It's going to be very interesting. Multiple multiple points of view. Oh, my God. We've got dual narrators. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Matrice. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you you so much, Matrice. It was great meeting you. Great meeting you as well. Okay. I'll talk to you next week, Mary. Yeah. Bye. That's it. For the writer's block party this week, we don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Bye.